Everyone loves movie trailers, except when they give away the whole plot of the movie. But how often do you think about where those trailers come from? Most people think movie studios make them, probably cut by the editor who edited the movie, right? It's actually pretty much the opposite of what really happens. In fact, when a distributor or studio is ready to market something, they turn to highly specialized trailer agencies to make the trailer. The Refinery, one of these trailer agencies, which makes a lot of the trailers you see at the theaters or on the big streamers, they have an online training program that teaches you how to get a job at a trailer agency. The program walks you through the process of making an actual movie trailer using the same project files that the real editors use. And at every step of the process, you get feedback from real trailer editors who work at the Refinery. Then, when you submit your final movie trailer, they review it, and if they're impressed, they might invite you in for an interview to work at the Refinery. The program is called The Art of the Trailer, and one graduate has already earned a full-time junior editor position at the refinery. You could be next. You can check it out at maketrailers.com, and if you use the promo code MMIH, you'll get 20% off for a limited time. Learn how to become a pro trailer editor and make a movie trailer under the guidance of real trailer editors at maketrailers.com. That's maketrailers.com. You know, making movies is hard. Making movies is hard. Welcome. This is the podcast about the struggle of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Mark Russell, the founding host of the podcast, and I'm a sci-fi horror filmmaker, and my first feature film, The Alternate, is out now on digital and DVD and Tubi. I'm Liz Manischel. I'm a writer, director, producer who just directed two features, Bread and Butter and Speed of Life, and I'm currently making my third, Best Friends Forever. I'm a producer's rep and a distribution consultant, and I used to manage Sundance's Creative Distribution Initiative. This week, we welcome writer-director Dana Kippel on the show to talk about producing, writing, and directing her first feature, Reflect, which she directed without ever making a short film or any other kind of film beforehand, which is just like blows my mind. It was a wonderful conversation. After that, we play another round of You're the Expert, which was the name we've settled on because we keep on mislabeling it, but it's You're the Expert. But first, Arik, how are you doing? I'm doing good. It's the new year. Happy new year. Happy new year. Happy new year. Yeah, my uh, daughter went to her first day of preschool. That's longer than an hour. She's at a four hour program today, which is fun. You know, we get actually to do do work at this house now, which is amazing. Yeah. It's a game (laughs) changer, right? Game Game changer. changer. I'm also back at my day job today, which is amazing too. So I feel like life has reset itself. Back to something more normal feeling. Yeah. Which is interesting. Although our Christmas tree is still up. I was going to take it down yesterday, but I got home from my mom's house at like three o'clock. And it's like, you know, a big trip. It's like a three hour drive, three and a half hour drive with two babies. So there was just no no more energy left after that to do anything. I'm happy to report I did do some writing over the break, which was great. I wrote probably four to five pages. So I'm cross 60 now. Yeah. And it was funny. It was one of those things where like I wrote a bunch and then I like wrote out a sequence just like in shorthand, you know, like this happens and this happens and this happens. And then I looked at it one day and it it felt like work. I was like, oh, God, I have this work of like translating this, these thoughts into actual script. And then it actually went pretty fast. So I think I'm done with that whole section now. So that was pretty cool. It was like, boom. Sometimes it's harder to think about it than to do it. Right. Sometimes. Yeah. Or sometimes it's hard, but yeah, it's funny. Like, I think like what, what's been happening lately, it's been really fun to, to think about it and write it out. And then yeah. like when it was already thought for me, it's like, ah, oh, this isn't fun. I already oh. thought about it already. <laughs> like now I have to just slave away oh, and like it. type <laughs> type out what my ideas. But then when, when doing it, I got to come up with new ideas, too. So then it, it ended up being fun. I did fall asleep at my computer a couple times <laughs> because I, I ended up doing this pretty late at night. But yeah, I'm feeling good. I do remember that like a year ago, like I, I was like, I would like to write a script this year, but if I don't write a full script this year, then no big deal. But like, you know, at least I, like I want to make progress like that. That's like the goal. And I did make progress over the year. But now this new year resolution, I'm like, I'm, I'm giving myself such softballs. I like, <laughs> I'm going to finish this script by the end of next year. I'm already like, whatever, two, two thirds passed on this. So it's really not that big of a, a goal. I should be like, I should finish this one and write one whole other one. But I'm going to take it easy on myself. Just going to finish one script this year. If I do it in the next three months, then I'll reevaluate and give myself another goal. But that's sort of what I'm looking at for my New Year's resolution. Because I also yeah. last year, I knew I was going to have a baby. So I was like, you have two, you're going to have a baby next year. Like, you don't need to put anything on your plate. <laughs> like, that's going to be enough. <laughs> 
But yeah, I don't know. What about you, Liz? How are you doing? Do you have any resolutions? Anything that you're focusing on for the new year? I never do resolutions ever. I don't think I've ever once done a resolution. And I never. love I'd love to. That sounds great. But I don't I'm not good at and that's not about being good at it. I just haven't stuck to one. Like, I think in the flight of fancy on December 31st, I'll be like, what if I do this? And then I just forget. I forget that I'm supposed to follow it. I just got back from Alabama where I was for two weeks seeing the in-laws, which was one wonderful. And we didn't want to come back to the real world. Alabama is like every dish involves cheese because Sean's mom just like knows that I'm a vegetarian and that's... Like the safe food or just like cheese <laughs> foods. <laughs> so it's just amazing. It's just like constant cheese. It was wonderful. And then, you know, like we had an extra few people. We could be like, can you hold this baby for a minute while I go do something? You know, it was really, really great. And then last night we come home and we're like, oh, now we're in the real world again. <laughs> where we are not eating cheese every three seconds and have instant babysitters. But I did manage to write twice over the past two weeks. So I've de- re- we're revising pages right now. And Amy's written a bunch of times too. So we've made a lot of progress in the script. And then we're I'm doing this labor exchange with this guy. I'm giving him distribution consultation hours. And he's a script consultant and coverage writer. And he's going to give us notes on our script. And we're just going to exchange our services for free and barter. So we're getting the script ready to send to this guy. He used to be... Tom Hanks's assistant and he wrote on um, Band of Brothers and I think Uh. From the Earth to the Moon. So, But like I was like, I really want this movie to make people laugh and vomit at the same time. And I don't think that's his specialty. Like, I don't think that's the type of movie he writes. So we'll see what kind of feedback he has. I think the only other thing of note to bring up is that I'm watching a lot of The Voice season 24 while I nurse and no one will talk to me about it because all of my friends do not watch The Voice season 24 and I just need someone to talk to about it. So I'm guessing that's not you. But if there's someone listening who will talk to me about various individuals who got kicked off or who haven't been kicked off, I would like to do that with them. I can tell you about all the commercials for The Voice because when I watch <laughs> football, The Voice commercials are ever present in my life. Well, don't, because I'm behind. So if you say something, it might give away something that I haven't seen yet. What season are they on? It's not 24? They're on 24, but I don't know if it's over yet because I'm afraid Uh, of looking it up because I'm afraid of spoilers if I Google season 24. That makes sense. Yes. Yeah. So I'm just like, just staring. I'm in the semifinals right now. So I'm getting close to the point where like I should not look it up. Okay. Really quick. I want to know your top three movies that make you laugh and vomit. What are those movies? It's really just drag me to hell. It's just drag me to hell and maybe society. What else? I just like I'm living for this moment and drag me to hell. I just feel like it, it was like seen in the theaters. It was like the I talked about it so much, but it's like the tussle between the older woman supernatural character and the Alison Lohman character. And there's like snot and violence and fear. Like eyeball pop out. I think something? there's an eyeball pop out. And like, I'm just living for that. So I guess probably just that one moment. And then also all of society. Yeah. Society. (laughs) Especially the end. Oh, I love the end so much. I love it. Like if we could make movies, I don't know. This is not your goal. But if I could make a movie like half as gross as society, I'd be pretty happy. Yeah, I want to make a movie that is as weird as society and that like yes. is engaging as society is yes. that like, you know, you're like, what is happening? Why what? are they talking like that? <laughs> what is up with the brother and the sister character? Like, what is going on with this movie? And then you're like, oh, what? And then yeah. the dad and the mom. It's just too much. It's too good. One last thing I thought might be worthwhile. I got feedback from a production company who passed on the movie because they said there wasn't enough violence or by the book scares. Mm. And I'm just think kind of like movies like society also don't have by the book scare. You know, it's like, it's this explosion at the end. Right. And I love that. They're very much un by the book, especially when they have those like weird visual sequences in the middle that are just like, wait, did you, did you see that? Or did you not see that? Like, did that happen? (laughs) 
well, what was going on for it? Okay. Right. You know, it's just like these things that just mess with your brain, yes. you know, but it's not, it's very it. untraditional, you know? And I think it's okay. I think it's like, we should stop beating ourselves up for not oh, yeah. abiding by these templates. For sure. Uh, yeah. Is this don't, me? don't, 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 no, but I'm just saying, please don't add traditional scares into your movie. Please don't. Thank do you. Thank, please I don't. need to hear that because I was like, please don't well, do shit. Like, what do I have to do now? I have to like <laughs> throw in some like jump scare where a skeleton falls out of a closet or something like that. I mean, more violence, fine, but sure. traditional scares, uh, that's like the worst. I mean, like, if someone gave me that note, it's just like, it's like, it's just, yeah, make, that makes me want to vomit. <laughs> The violence is fine. I mean, it's like, okay, cool. Like, sure. You want this to be violent? Fuck. Let's cut some arms off. Like, no big deal. You know? But like, I mean, just traditional scares for traditional scares sake is just like, uh, uh, boring, boring. But what's not boring is Patreon because it actually funds this show and it keeps us going. It is a service that allows lovely individuals who want to support the arts and artists to give their support in a monetary way on patreon.com slash MMIH podcast, $1.99 a month, which is so little. I mean, it's a lot for some people. I don't want to demean like struggling people in the world, but if in the vast sense of like your subscriptions, like Netflix and Hulu, I would say it's very little, can get you access to the entire back catalog of all the episodes that are not available on iTunes, which is like a lot, which is a lot. So check us out, support the show. We really, really appreciate it. We also want to shout out the Blood and Popcorn Film Festival, which is a micro horror film festival that celebrates Bay Area, SF Bay Area filmmakers and spotlights international talents year round with multiple horror film screenings. They have a curated collection of horror shorts and features that offer spine chilling frights and gory delights. My favorite phrase of the year. You have until January 16th, which is coming up, coming up super soon, to get in your submissions. So filmmakers, please submit. Use the waiver code EVILPOP3 to get 50% off. Go to filmfreeway.com slash blood and popcorn film festival. But without any more delay, here's our chat with Dana Kippel. Dana, the first question, the hardest question can you give us the elevator pitch for Reflect? Oh, my God. Well, I didn't have to do an elevator pitch to anyone, but let me try. It's five women that go on a road trip to Sedona to go on a spiritual obstacle course, and their traumas resurge, and they start to be followed by mysterious hooded entities, and we don't know what happens next. Ooh. Wow. How many days did you shoot? I shot for, I think, a total of 21 days with two pickup days. Gosh, questions about that. Yeah. What can you say about the budget of the film? The budget of the film was around, I think I'm okay saying it, to be honest, around 100000 And then, so how did this idea come about? Like, where did you come up with the, the concept? Like, why make this movie? All that stuff. Mm -hmm. I think it was out of necessity, to be honest. So I had written another film called Anana First, which is like a $2 million budget. And I was new to LA, new to the industry. I don't know anyone. I, I was acting for a few years and I was told there's no way anyone is going to make your movie for $2 million, make a smaller movie first and get some credit directing. So I was like, fine. And then I wrote this like very manically in like two weeks in August of 2019. And I was a little bit depressed because I was acting and filming night shoots on another film and I hadn't seen the sunlight. And I was like, I feel disconnected from everything right now. So then I wrote it. We raised the money by October and we filmed it in December, 2019. So that was the inspiration to make my next movie. But it became much more than that, obviously. Well, you just knocked out the next question with that answer. That's amazing. Like, how long did you spend? So it sounds like from August 2019 till now. Yeah. Yes. If you could change one thing about the film, like in any way, process or content, what would it be? Yeah. So I wouldn't be psychotic and have like 17 characters for a low budget film. I also would have thought more about location changes and making it more contained because looking back, I would have loved to it be better quality, a more tight story, maybe. You know, I think everyone is is hard on their first film, but I'm so hard on everything I see wrong with it. And I'm trying to love it more and see what's right with it. But yeah, those two things are really important, I think, for a lower budget film that I missed 
<laughs> so I'm just looking at your IMDb. I have a lot of questions. Yeah. So this looks like it's your first, not only your first feature, but like the first thing that you've ever been credited directing. Like, had you done shorts before or did you just dive right into your first thing being a feature? Yeah, no, I basically dove right in. So the only short that I semi, I didn't really direct, but I think I put my name on co-directing just so I looked like I had a credit before raising money for this was this short film that was not good called Want to Hear a Story that me and my boyfriend made. And, you know, that wasn't good. And that was our real first thing ever. And then we that was like a few months before I made my feature. So that was the only experience I had on set. But that was really good, even learning that. (laughs) Oh my god, I have I have so many questions. I guess the first question is: You did you go to Sedona to shoot this? Like I'm hearing twenty one locations. I'm hearing one hundred k budget. I'm hearing oh sorry, not twenty one locations, multiple locations. There's a lot. But like, I shot two features for hundred k. I know exactly where that goes. Did was it outside of Los Angeles? How did you make use of that budget for all of the things that you were doing with twenty one days? Yeah. So, you know, I was a lot of different eyeline produced my movie. I produced my movie. I got the financing. I don't know if I had a first AD for most of it. So I was a lot, I acted in it. I directed, I wrote it. So, you know, there was a lot of stuff for free. I also, my friends, I think I paid like a hundred dollars a day. Most of them, the one friend I didn't pay, I gave her like a producing credit. And then the money went into in. So we filmed two days in LA where we got kicked out of one of our locations because we didn't have a permit. Then we filmed two days in Palm Springs without a permit. We did not get kicked out, but we were driving around with a process trailer around Palm Springs like crazy people. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. Yeah. And I would never get a process trailer again for a low budget film because that was way too much money we spent on that. I don't know why we did that. We were being fancy. It was crazy. And then the next 14 days we spent in Sedona, we spent, I think, 5000 on an Airbnb that housed 14 people where we all stayed. And then some of the crew stayed in the, our art director who lived in Sedona's cabin. So it was like five people in there and 14 people kind of switching in and out. And I, I had line produced it where, you know, each character would stay there for three days and they'd go home and the next character would come in and then us five would stay there the whole time, the main cast. So that's where I spent that money. And then the permits we did get for Sedona were 150 a day because I said our crew was less than 10 people, which it kind of was. So that wasn't that much money. Well, because some of the actors were crew. Is that the idea? Yeah. Or Yeah, or I lied a little. But our crew, our crew was like... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Our crew and cast, I think it was like maybe 15 people realistically a day. But I didn't want to pay more than that. So, you know, a little line goes a long way. And then... I think by the end of it, we had spent maybe like, you know, and then we did pay crew, obviously. So we spent like forty five to fifty thousand dollars shooting it. And then the additional fifty was spent in post production. Amazing. Yeah. Incredible. I actually kinda of have a joint question. Well for, yeah. first is for Liz, like when you made your hundred thousand dollar movies, what were your what was your crew size? Was it like twenty or twenty five? It was twenty five to thirty. I don't remember the exact number. And then right. with Speed of Life, it was like one location. Aren't. Yeah, I guess the question for you, Dana, is like, so you 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 knew you you had to like twenty one or shoot days, like did you did you kind of design the way that you were spending your money around giving you as many shoot days as possible, or like did you think like, oh, this is the crew size I want, like I don't want to go bigger than like you know twelve or so crew members or something, or like like how did you orchestrate? Like having a hundred thousand dollar budget and getting that many days was it yes. like on purpose or was it like an accident? <laughs> it was like a puzzle that all fit. So I think I'm really good at puzzles and line producing. I think I'm really good at math and all those things. So like, but it all fit. It wasn't just math. So I think I just knew like, okay, I have this many people. This is what I'm going to pay them. This is what it comes out to times whatever days. And I guess so. It was fourteen two plus two, and then we had the two additional days and the two additional days for pickups i only brought like four people back so it wasn't as expensive to sedona and that was like my shooting for my acting like my coverage on my really emotional scenes but yeah between that and the location and the days everything just exactly worked so it's almost like i gave myself parameters i knew how much i had to spend i found the people and yeah it just all worked out once i knew the box i was 
plane and and it worked out like to the T of how much it should be, which I was like, this is crazy. <laughs> I think the reason Alrick asked that question, which isn't, yeah. hasn't been said yet, is that my film was a 12 day shoot. At the same budget. (laughs) Okay, let me tell you what I paid. Yes, that's that's a good context. Exactly. Then let me maybe say what I paid the crew because I got a lot of favors. Oh, you know what? You know why mine was so cheap? I I did not give this guy credit. So Michael Delano, he's an executive producer on the film. He had, we had met for coffee a couple of weeks before, or a couple of months before my film. And I, and he is a production company for commercials. And he goes, I would love to help. I can give you all the camera equipment for free. He brought in some lenses. The sound guy brought in some lenses. The sound guy was the highest paid guy on set. I think we paid him maybe four fifty a day, and then I paid for his travel. I think the DP I maybe paid three three hundred or two fifty a day. Everyone else made like one fifty a day. We had a, one grip, one gaffer. We had a focus puller, and then we had an art director who also tripled as the scripty and a PA. And then <laughs> Mike amazing. was wow. yeah, Mike's. Mike's producer from his commercial stuff, she came on as a producer just to like help the daily stuff since I was directing. Then we had my boyfriend who was acting in it, but also he was like a free producer, free PA. So that's kind of how that all broke down. But it really when when it was only like the $5,000 for housing and our locations were literally free because it was only the permit and then all of it was outside. The whole film almost is outside. Oh. Yeah, and it's in the different national parks. And we, I'm so crazy. We sometimes move twice a day. And I think the reason we were able to get so much shot is because we didn't have to light almost anything because it was all sunlight. And Ooh. but it was pretty cloudy. So we got lucky with light. Amazing. I don't know how we did this. So I guess uh, just another addition to the other question is like, how did you decide, like, you know, when you're doing such a small crew, how did you decide what crew you were going to hire and bring on? Like, how did, did you like, oh, I'm, we don't need the big lighting team because it's all outside. So you're, we're only going to get a gaffer and a grip or something. Like, how did you plan that? Yeah. And it's crazy that I've never done this before. I'm trying to remember, I, I do, I research like a lot and I'm pretty good at researching. So I think I research like what people on the team do on the crew. And I just, and it was more intuition again. Like I knew, okay, a grip and a gaffer, we don't need more than one each. Cause we could always use a PA, you know, my boyfriend is a good <laughs> listener. If the cinematographer tells him what to do, he'll put it wherever. And, you know, as far as like, yeah, I mean, that was, that's really it. So you just basically like, we're like, this is the bare minimum I need to make this movie. We're going to go as small as possible. We've got, you had a really great, partner who like was able to help you from the commer- from the commercial side who kind of like yeah. was like oh yeah this person could do this and that and this person could do that and like you sort of like ma- kind of family made it like a family production type thing where everyone's sort of like wearing multiple hats and just mm-hmm. kicking butt that's what it sounds like yeah i just knew i didn't need more than that like i knew what i wanted and i knew the type of like the film style i wanted was more like a painting so everything was in focus and there was a lot of shots that i think we put on the tripod and just kind of shot some of them if i could go back and do it a different way i would have done a steady cam but that's more expensive that's something else i would have changed because i just the style wasn't what i thought it would be i don't know yeah things just randomly worked out i have i honestly have no clue i it was almost all instinct and intuition and a bit of luck and and the biggest thing was i just knew i was making the movie so i was like this is gonna work i'm making this film I have no backup and we're just going to have the money that's going to (laughs) work. Just to throw more credit back at you. I don't think it was. I mean, we could call it instinct, intuition and luck. But you said yourself, you're a good researcher. Clearly, you're a people person. You're a hard worker. Like you pulled it together. It sounds like you were the engine. Yeah. Yes. I want to want to pick at something a little because when we asked you for the elevator pitch, you were like, well, I didn't really need to pitch this. But you did fundraise for the whole film. So do you mean you didn't need to pitch this in like a traditional studio executive kind of way? Yeah. Yeah. How did you fundraise then? What what do you think was the reason people came on board to support you on this project? Yeah. So I've always had the inner deep, deep insecurity that everyone hates me. (laughs) Oh, me too. Me too. (laughs) Yeah. So how to get past that, which was a great self challenge for me. Sure. Uh, I was bullied my entire life, like for one thing or the other, whether it was Pokemon cards or like being a little bit weird and obtuse to in high school being called a slut. Like I, every which way I couldn't win. 
So like, you know, I've had, I had to get past that. And I just told myself, I deserve this. Like everyone deserves their dreams and I deserve to make this movie. And you know, I don't, if anyone makes fun of me for crowdfunding or looks at me weird, like fuck them. And that's their business. And I'm going to raise money and try my hardest. So what I did was I first made the crowdfund on Seed and Spark. And I made a video with Mike, the executive producer, about what the film would be like. I really spoke from my heart how it was about how I felt disconnected my whole life to myself, to other people, to nature. And if anyone else has kind of felt like this, maybe like donate. And, you know, there's not a lot of metaphysical movies out there. There's not a lot of films about trauma and female, the real intricacies of female relationships. So those were kind of my selling points, like mental health, trauma, metaphysics, philosophy. And I was like, if you want to see more films like this, please donate. And then we were able, and I worked so hard. No one else helped me on this campaign. They really didn't. I messaged, that's the thing when you expect people to help you, like in that way, just remember you have to really be the engine behind your own film. So I, I messaged people on my LinkedIn, on my Instagram every day for like 14 days. Like, please donate, please donate. I didn't care how annoying I was. Hundreds of people, like this is like hours a day. And then we raised the money like in the first like half of it, I think, I think. And, or like we raised a lot of the money right away. The middle was kind of a slump. And then at the end, I think some money came in. So then that was like 20,000. And then with that 20,000, I already had great momentum on LinkedIn, which I have a big, a bigger presence on LinkedIn, I guess, because I've had it for like 10 years because I was in business before this. And I would post on LinkedIn and I would try to get individual investors by sending them a quick message like, hey, I'm making this film. If you want to invest, I'll give you equity. So, and I knew wow. kind of how to develop like an equity plan because I try to fundraise for my food business, which I never was able to fundraise for. I got the money. I use my own money, but I tried. So I put that into on LinkedIn and then one guy, everyone said, no, this one man, I won't use his last name, but this guy, Michael, who is like my angel called me and goes, how much money do you need? And I was like, at first it was 20,000. I eventually needed like 10,000 more, but I was like, Oh, 20,000. He was like done. And he wired us the money. So all really? of a sudden, yeah. wow. So all of a sudden we, and you know, this is a nice family, man. This wasn't like anyone with like an agenda, like, which I was so thankful about. Cause that's just weird. So yeah, it was, it was a great situation and wonderful man. And then all of a sudden we had the $40,000 to at least start the shoot. I had no idea how I'd finish it, but then basically I use savings from my unemployment from COVID. My boyfriend put some of his money in. And then I think we had a few donations from family and friends that ended up getting the other 50 uh, and now I'm broke. Wow. That's incredible. Congratulations to you for finding a way to, to seek investment um, through social media, you know, even LinkedIn and, yeah. and raising money because that's really hard to do, yeah. you know, and then also running a crowd. We beat Liz and I have both done multiple crowdfunding campaigns and they're also extremely hard to do. So uh, good on you yeah. for figuring that. And like, this is your first movie. It's kind of amazing. It, did it, did you ever have anyone ask, like, you know, when you were going through the fundraising process or trying to get this movie made, like, did anybody ask to see any work you'd done before? Or like, did they ask, oh, like, what have you directed? Did that ever come up? Or was it just like you believe so much in the movie that that was like that they had faith in you from like, you know, your passion and what you were pitching? Yeah, thank God. At least as far as like crowdfunding and the investor goes, that was never a question. But when I would go out in Hollywood and tell people that I was making a film, I got extreme pushback and hate. Like this lawyer that worked at UTA told me, you should take that money you're raising and go to film school. He was like, I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> Boo. <laughs> yeah, he was an asshole. And then a lot of other people too, this woman goes, this is a really hard time for us. And this is a woman who had only made a short film. She heard I was making a feature. She was like, you should make a short. She was like, you're, you're really going to fail making a feature. She was like, it's so hard for women. Like, good luck, sweetie. And was talking down to me. And like, I had a lot of uh, hate and that was, that sucked because I already had so much self-doubt in me as a person, but I always believed in my story which I think is the only thing that kept me going. I don't know what I was delusional and I'm doing it now because I'm trying to get financing for my next film. It's the same thing. Like the, I think it's like pregnancy almost, which I haven't been through, but you like, it's really hard during and then you give birth and then you want to do it all over again. So yeah, I'm dealing with the same kind of self-doubt though at a bigger scale, which is so annoying. <laughs> oh my God. I have so many questions. 
Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, let's talk about your former life because I just want to see how it plays into your decision to be a filmmaker. You don't mm-hmm. have to go into whatever you want to go into. I know that you have a background of mental health, but you also mentioned this food business. Are they tied together and why transition to film? Yeah, no, I'm super transparent about my background. So I had a really bad drug and alcohol addiction from ages 14 to 21. When I grew up, I dealt with trauma from my gymnastics teacher and I had a pretty crazy upbringing, a lot of trauma, a lot of bullying, a lot of uh, stuff that I think I developed an addiction because it was a hard thing to mentally kind of keep as a kid in my mind. So then when I always had said, and I have no shame saying it when I was younger, I want to be famous. (laughs) And I knew I just like had a vision though, that I would do something like, and I'm not saying this is it right, but that was like the beginning thing of like me wanting to be in entertainment. And obviously that's not my driving force now, but I always just wanted to do something big and help people even as a kid. So when I turned 19, I was going to go to either film school or culinary school. And I had such a bad addiction. I could not go to either. And I went to rehab instead. My life took a huge turn. I moved to Florida. I worked in mental health for like nine years. I saw a lot of people die, which sucked, but I wanted to help people like I've been helped because it sucks watching people overdose. And I wanted to kind of help people see that there's a way out of it because thank God I've not struggled with it since then. But I always was missing the creativeness that I kind of wanted as a kid. And, you know, that like big dream thing. So then it was always in the back of my mind that I wanted to do something in entertainment still. So then when I was 27, I opened a food business just as like a little creative outlet at the time. Cause in Florida entertainment doesn't really exist. At least it didn't for me. And then the food business did really well. In like two months, we made like $50,000. We got some interest from the guy who used to own Uber Eats out here. He had a place called Cloud Kitchens. And he said we could come out here and open a second location. And I was like, at Los Angeles, this is my chance. So I moved the business out here, ended up selling those businesses. I don't have any money left from that now, but I did for a little bit. I got into acting. And then real quick, I was like, fame, like, oh God, what was I thinking? Like, this is all a sham and uh, smoke and mirrors <laughs> and, you know, acting is fun and I do like acting, but I realized that life is so much more important than fame and helping people is super important. I really want a platform, but I realized really quick that that surface shit is not going to work for me as far as like, I, I really wanted to have agency over my own career and I'm not act, you know, acting's great and acting's very deep, but, uh, just the stuff I was getting as like a new actor, I was not cool with. So I was like, I'm going to write and direct my own stuff. And I was like, oh, I used to want to direct and I made movies as a kid. And then when I decided to direct, that was in 2019. And then, yeah, I started writing. So that's kind of my path to getting here, which is kind of weird and random, but How many years did you spend in Los Angeles acting before you had that epiphany of like deciding that you were going to be a writer or director? Like a year and a half or something. I mean, I moved here. I'm, oh, you know what? My film stuff, I'm sorry. My film stuff I made in 2021, not 2019. If I said that, that was wrong. So I think I was being crazy there. I moved here in 2019. I started, Ah. yes, sorry guys. So no, no, no worries. Go back to correct everyone. I made my, I wrote my film in August, 2021, and then filmed it in December, 2021. I moved here in March, 2019 with my food business. I had, I was done with that by December, 2019, got into acting classes because I was like, I can live my dreams now. And then from 2019 in December to middle of 2021, I was just acting. And that's kind of really when the shift started to happen. Because I know it was COVID, but I got, you know, I acted in like a lot of random indie stuff and no offense to anyone. I enjoyed my stuff, but a lot of the um, auditions I was getting were like the sexy girl or like her top is off or like, and I didn't do any of those, but, or the stuff was just written. I was like, what? Women are written like this? Like what is happening? So I was just like, yeah, this is not going to make me happy. And then I had like spiritual awakening around the same time where I just like, I started meditating and reading all these philosophy books. And I was like, I want to share like my stories with people. So that's kind of, it just all happened at once. My destiny, I feel like lined back up to what I wish I did when I was younger. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about fundraising. I mean, I I don't want to pry too much into your financial situation, but 
when you were raising the funds, did you have a sense in your mind that it would come back to you or were you making the movie knowing that potentially it could be a loss? Yeah, no, I knew from all my research and like, cause I interviewed a lot of filmmakers and producers before doing the financing about distribution and about pre-production to, uh, you know, some friends I had made over the last two years, cause I love networking and they were, they gave me some advice. So I was very well aware I might make no money back on my film. And if I did want to make any, there's a few things maybe I could do to make that happen. But the one thing I really am hoping is that I can give my investor his 30,000 back, which is the amount at the end of the day he spent on us. And I don't know if I will. And he knows that, but I really, I made this film more to like get something out there. That's like my truth and hopefully will help other women and as more of a stepping stool to making a movie that can hopefully make me some money and get me on the map more. Yeah. So we've kind of like rocked it through this conversation, but I think one of the things we haven't really like identified is, you know, like I hear from a lot of people like, Oh, I, I want to make a movie, but I don't know how to do it. Like, Oh, I've never made a movie before. I can't make a movie. And like, you're proof that you yeah. can just, you can do it. Like you can like literally go out and make a feature without having like a big background in filmmaking or go to film school or whatever. So mm-hmm. the thing I want to ask about is like, when you made that decision that I am going to write and direct my first movie, like, like as a feature, like what, what was the first thing you do? Like what, what was the first step that you took to like mm-hmm. making that a reality? Yeah. Let me think back. Writing the script was the first step. So I just, uh, I no, actually before that I met with someone who was a filmmaker told him I wanted to make movies and thank God he was encouraging because some people aren't. And he was like, do it. He was like, I've done it. Do it. He was like, write it about some girls or something like on a trip. And that's honestly what started. <laughs> and then, and how did you meet this filmmaker? Did you just find them online or did you know them from a shoot that you were on? Like, how did you get connected? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So his name's Michael Marino. He makes like action films, sci-fi films. And so I've connected with a lot of filmmakers, actually, just on Instagram or LinkedIn by messaging them, mostly right. male filmmakers, honestly, the only ones who messaged me back, which I'll get into, which is kind of annoying, but and I don't really understand it. But, and, you know, they don't hit, like the ones that hit on me, I don't answer, but he was always very gracious. We, you know, he's married. We met for coffee, super nice. You, you know, the, I would just like ask these people things. And I always felt like I got along really well with directors and writers over actors. And I just like knew I was maybe meant to be a filmmaker because I just like resonated with them a lot. But yeah, he, he told, I found him, I think maybe off Instagram and messaged him and he met me for coffee. I said, Hey, I'd love to ask you some stuff. I'm, I'm thinking of gaining into filmmaking or making a movie. And then, yeah, he was like, just make it, make it like five women, like some women go on a <laughs> And then I literally get home and I'm like five women in Sedona. So, so but then I, you know, obviously I put you know, all of myself into it, but he really did start it with that. Like, it's crazy how I kind of just ran with that, which is funny now thinking about it. Yeah. That's how, that was the first step was meeting with someone. Thank God they gave me encouragement and then writing the script. And as I was writing the script, I was kind of starting to tell people like I'm making this film, I'm making this film. And then I would like document it. I'd record myself. I read a lot of self-help books. I read The Energy of Money and then Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And then I think I read books by like Ralph Waldo Emerson, which really fed my soul. And then I read The Heroine's Journey, which was a book on feminine story structure. I never have read The Hero's Journey. No offense to it, but I wanted to make a different story structure. So it's like a different way of how men and women can deal with life and about the descent to hell rather than like the ascent. And it's really cool. If you look it up, it has like a whole thing that I followed that structure for my, my screenplay. And I, I think I read story, which was a pretty good screenplay book just so I kind of what I was doing, but yeah, sorry, I'm speaking too much, but yeah, that's kind of the first steps I took. You're not, but but this is a request to, to get into oh. it. You said you could get into it about uh, the responses from women mm-hmm. on Instagram and LinkedIn. If you're if you feel comfortable, I want to hear. Yeah, so I've messaged so many female producers and directors, and I don't know if like they're just waiting to see if I stick it out. I don't know like their mindset compared to men, but I don't. I I think maybe I've got. I don't even know if I've gotten an answer. I'm trying to think because like I've messaged pretty big male directors who have answered me and met with me and like they weren't creepy. Like, and as I said, there are ones like that and you filter them out, but the women have not 
I'm trying to think if anyone's ever met with me. I don't know if they judge me for whatever reason or think, I think it's really a lot of it is judgment and women. And this one I made my film about like women don't like other women. They're like threatened by them. Like there's not enough room for them in Hollywood. And like, we're not going to get anywhere that way. We have to like lift each other up and not judge someone based on how they look or how they act. Like you need to get to know someone. I feel like I think that there's a lot of, yeah, jealousy and, and worry. And I, and, you know, maybe, you know, I don't know who put us in this framework or we put ourselves there, but you know, and, you know, men, I'm sure are to blame for some things, but we also have to take in a, a control and support each other and meet with each other. And I, I do try to do that, but I even have seen the bias in my own head, which is why I'm aware of it. Yeah. I just had such struggle. They either, they don't, yeah, they just don't message me back. It's like cricket. So I've had, even when people, I asked for mentor advice the other day and people were putting women in the chat and I saw like two women in there who were pretty bigger producers and like they were a little bit responsive, but then like, I think it fell off. Like they just weren't interested in me. So I don't know just cause I'm not big enough or what, but. Can I, I can I posit an alternate theory to, Yeah, I don't know if it is the same for other women, but I think that a lot of women over schedule themselves so much that they can't look outside themselves. Like it's, it, it's just an abundance in front of them yeah. and it makes them, and, that, and that's our fault. We need to create a community. I agree with you, but I wonder yeah. if there's another side of it. You can be completely right. Because once again, I will admit, like I could be projecting my own insecurities onto these. And I'm completely open to say that. Like, I mean, okay, obviously there are women who have like literally given me looks and been mean to me. Like that is just messed up. But the ones who maybe have not always answered, 100% that's a possibility. And I and I do the same thing. I am very busy. I do try to answer. What I do though is I think because I'm trying to overcompensate and this is my issue, I'll say like, oh my God, yes, I want to help you. And I'll give them all this advice. And then I'll be like, I, I want to produce this. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh God, I can't do this. Like I have to do my, my film. And right. uh, I've had to step back on a couple of things. I've, so that's my problem, which is probably just as bad. No, <laughs> it's just as interesting. All of it's just interesting. Yeah, no, but I, I really, I also have an insecurity going to women, which is why I'm looking for a female mentor because I, yeah, I just, I, I really have struggled with judgment and a feeling like women have hated me and I, it's happened my whole life and I don't, don't know why. And I don't know if maybe it's my own mommy issues or what it is, but it's been a struggle. Yeah. You know, it also could be just insecurity too. Like people like they get a message from a upcoming young filmmaker and for yeah. asking for advice and they're like, who am I to give advice? I can't give any good advice. So then they don't yeah. respond, you know? So I, it's likely has nothing to do with you. It's probably more about them, but who knows? Yeah. You, know? you guys are being my therapists right now. <laughs> That's kind of the point of the show I've learned. I mean, you, you, I know you didn't sign up for this knowing that we would try to be that way, but it does for I at least Ulrich and I. Are you guys intervening on me? <laughs> I didn't even know. Oh, oh, now I know what you're saying. I'm like, what is yes. intervening? No, but I, well, besides that, though, because that was pretty neg all negative things of me saying, like, I've also met, because I was just spotlighting that, I've also met wonderful women randomly in the industry and not by reaching out. It's been more organically. Like uh, one of my mentors, her name is Catherine Mosley. She has been an angel in my life. Like she probably doesn't even know this, but I'm like a second mother. Like I, I, I can ask her advice and, you know, tell her who I'm talking to. And she's really helped me. And she's never, you know, had that, given me that problem. So of course there's a woman in Hollywood and not everyone's like that. Like there's amazing women. I've just, and it's probably my own, cause I'm really into this like holographic universe theory, but it's probably my own projection and my own like framework to teach me how to love myself and that not all women are like this. And I have to go through this to like figure it out. So I think it's all set up for me to like have my deepest learning about these issues. So I think that's super interesting. I just, from my perspective, for years, I've been also putting out the call saying, oh my God, I want to mentor. I have been so yeah. out loud about wanting to mentor. And what I've discovered is that every now and then I'll put the call out and someone will say, hey, I have 30 minutes right now. Give me a call. And then someone else will say, hey, you want to go for a walk? But to find a consistent voice is very, very difficult. And I'm, yeah. which is, I think, what most of us want. We want like a figurehead. But I do think there are little 
mini mentorships that we can get along yeah. the way that do give us a boost sometimes. And that's unfortunately yeah. or fortunately what I've been able to find. Yeah. Yeah. I think I found that too. I really think it's my mommy issues. I really think I just want like love and friendship in Los Angeles. And like, I haven't found a lot of it. And like, I haven't found a lot of consistency and like, I just want like that group or those couple people that like stick with me through my whole career. Like, I don't want to keep like shedding people and meeting new people. Like I want that consistency. I've wanted that my whole life. So we won't get into it, but that's probably why (laughs) I get it though. Yeah. So going back to like you building your team for your first feature, because I, I can't get enough of this, this whole concept, because people, you know, people talk about all the time, like, how do you do this? How do you do that? And like, you're, you're you know, with no experience. So yeah. <laughs> how did you find your, your cinematographer? Like, what, what was that? How did you make the decision? How did you find that person? And like, what were you looking for in a cinematographer for your feature? Yeah, I will give advice up front about this where I've made mistakes. So my number one advice to filmmakers who are making a film, but also like I did with what I could with what knowledge I had back then. So I don't like rag on myself too much is like, I met with someone once and I was like, Oh, I'm using them with a lot of the positions and everyone did an amazing job on that. But I think for the future, and I'll tell you why, what happened with my first DP, I think it's very important to really question them and make sure they've read the script fully and get your vision and like get a better read on them. Like don't just make the decision after one meeting because I did have my, my first DP I signed on. I think it was just out of necessity. I, I met him because I was like an extra on something and he met me on there and said he'd do it for cheap. And we met and then, you know, we get to set and he's he's been working two days. He kept switching the lenses without telling me and I had a very specific look. So I felt because I was acting in it. So I couldn't see behind the camera, mm. which was also a little bit of a mistake I feel like for me as a director. And then so yeah, he would switch the lenses. He also said to, I won't name who, but he said to someone who ended up telling me, she doesn't know what she's doing. This could look so much better if I was like making it or something along the lines of oh, that. Oh God. So when I heard that, I fired him right away. And then my, the grip or someone, I think he was a grip or I think he was a PA. The PA I had had, had been like, actually I've DP'd stuff before. And I saw his work and I was like, oh my God, can you please DP this? Like, this is like, we, you know, this was a conversation like right before I fired him to like, see who I could get. And he was like, sure, I'll DP. And then he DP the rest of it and like read the, wow. as a PA, he had actually read the script, which doesn't happen a lot. So yeah, I got really lucky, but that's kind of how that situation happened. And then as far as the other staff, it's, it's also, I just put it out there through friends and uh, I had filmed a movie in Arizona. So I used that network as an actress to see who the crew was and who I can meet, who could go from Phoenix to Sedona and stay there. So that's how I found like the grip, the gap or the AC. Yeah. Can I ask a quick follow-up question on this? Yeah. So like, you know, and then clearly the PA turned out to be great because you're, because you're working with them again on, on your next feature project, which is amazing. I'm not. But... Oh no. Oh no. Okay. Yeah. But no, he still did amazing. It's just, I want to, um, my next project is really female centered and I got a female DP and a female producer. It's called Anana. I don't even, it's not on. Oh, I was talking about Crave. I was talking about Crave, this thing that you co-directed. No, Crave, Crave. That's a crazy story. That was like a short that I co-directed with a friend. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah. And he did great on that, but no, because I'm, I'm using this European DP, this woman, Valentina, who I'm obsessed with. I, I just like wanted a team of women for the next film. It had nothing to do with him. And he's actually making his own films now directing. So I think we're. Oh, both. that's cool. Yeah. But I know. I love well, yeah, him. I guess what Mike, sorry, well, that was just a side, but the question I was going to ask was like, when you met with your first DP who you fired, like, were there any flags that you remember from your initial meetings that could have like helped you avoid bringing them on set? Or was it like, they were super awesome, super great, like easy to work with. And then when they got on set, then it was like all the crap started. No, once again, and this is why I think therapy is so important and working on yourself in this industry. I think my insecurities of not confronting people, because I've always wanted people to like me. I've never, never really worried about if I've liked them. So when I met him, I wanted him to like me and I wanted him to do the project. And he was being kind of vague, but he just was like, yesing me to death. And I just, I knew in my intuition, if I asked him about the script, it might be awkward because I felt like he maybe didn't know everything, but I like... Mm whatever reason I just felt so awkward and I already had signed him on 
And I just kind of like, couldn't deal with it. It's that now I'm, I'm obviously different. I'm working on things clearly still in therapy, but that part I'm pretty good at now. But at the time, it's almost just like, I was nervous of even the answer of if he hadn't read it, what would I do? And how would I confront that in person? Hmm. There were kudos for you, but like kudos for you for like making the move on set and like firing him, you know, because a lot of people would just live with it. Yeah. And just ha- have that movie be shot by this person and like dealing with like whatever they're doing. And it was really good for good on you to like go ahead and make that change and find somebody who could like work with you in a, in a positive way. So oh, amazing. Yeah, it was rough. I will say I did have to actually call and fire him because I was acting and directing it and it was a pretty emotional part. I did have my boyfriend and then Mike, the executive producer, call him to make the actual call to fire him because I was really mm. stressed. But that's also but I, why you have producers, you know, producers yeah, do, there do for. that. They, do, they hire yeah. and fire. Yeah. I I have 45 questions, but I think we need to get to the final six questions at this point. So these are the more kind of like bird's eye questions by your career. <laughs> I know the answer to this question, but I'm asking anyway. What's the first film you ever made and how do you feel about it now? Okay. Well, that was Reflect, which is what we're talking about. And I've been through a dark night of the soul with it where for the past two years, I've actually like really picked it apart and wish I could have changed a lot. And like, I didn't like it to be honest. Like um, I was like, Oh, I have much more potential and I made all these mistakes, but recently, and I think this has coincided and reflected from how I've been working on myself. I've learned to love myself and kind of start that process. And that's normal for people who go through a lot, I guess, and that I'm not a victim and I have control over my life and all those things. And now I can look back at the film and really love it for what it is and understand that it was almost like a love letter to myself and like really appreciate it and really appreciate the people on it. And um, it's something now I can say I do love from like that perspective, but there's definitely still things I'd change. <laughs> Just briefly before we get to the next question, because I very often I, I learned that I'm a perfectionist. I didn't know that I was that. And I, I've had similar feelings to you have uh, that you've had about your work. And my husband always says to me that like an artist never feels like their work is finished. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's I just again, the corollary of what you're saying, it's like yeah. if you don't love it, it just means that you care about it. Right. That it's not finished. It, nothing's ever done and that you're just going to get better and better and better. No, it is true. I mean, you have to stop working on your stuff at some point and put it out there. So, yeah, that is very, you're so wise. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, definitely share share the same feelings about my first feature. Like, oh, there's things I yeah. would do differently. But like, yeah. you know, at the same time, super proud of it also. But I feel like I'm probably going to feel that way about everything I make. There'll always be things that I might have yeah. changed, you know. Sure. But anyways, to the next question. What's yeah. the best filmmaking advice you've ever received? Oh my gosh. I wish I could go through my notes right now because I have a lot of filmmaking advice in my notes. Uh, keep going. Nice. <laughs> That's really the best advice. Because, you know, if you're a filmmaker and an artist like me, at least, you're going to have incessant thoughts daily about, not maybe daily, but how you should quit, how you're not good enough, how no one likes you, how you you don't know what you're doing. Um, you know, all those thoughts are there. And I think they might, I don't know if they'll ever leave, but you realize almost that like they're, they could be empty thought forms and it's you're, you're giving them energy. And instead, if you can, same with the women thing, like if I can shift my focus, maybe just to my work and not even pay attention to my feelings on that, that will all come. So like, to keep going and really put the focus into what you want instead of putting the focus into what everyone else is doing and how they feel about you and your worries and doubts. Like that literally is a choice. And I've figured that out very recently. It doesn't feel like a choice, but once you train your mind, like it, it's a choice where you put your focus. So yeah. I love that. What's some really bad, what's the worst filmmaking advice you've ever heard or, or received? Well, besides that lawyer telling me to take the money for a film and go to film school, the worst advice I got would probably be any advice that I've taken from anyone who hadn't made a feature, like no offense, but like if someone hasn't made a feature and you're making a feature, don't take advice from them. Like, honestly, don't, uh, and nothing wrong with that. Like there's plenty of people who are amazing people who haven't made a feature yet, but I wouldn't take advice from someone who hasn't done the thing I'm trying to do. Yeah. That's that's a good one. Yeah. Do you have a goal as a filmmaker? Yes. 
I like to dream big. So I love Britt Marlene and Night Shyamalan and Chris Nolan and Terry Gilliam. His movies are really crazy. So I think that I would love to be a mix of all of those and be like just someone who makes like amazing, big metaphysical adventure, fantasy, sci-fi movies. So my goal is to do that and also to help people with my films and kind of like raise the consciousness of the world. And if I could help women and men connect with themselves more and love themselves more, like I've done my job. All right. Just a small, small goal for yourself. All right. (laughs) If you could go back in time, what's the one piece of advice you would give yourself? That not everyone hates you and to be kinder to yourself and you're, you're pretty cool most of the time. (laughs) Yeah. Nice. Last question is making movies hard. Yes. Yes. But okay. So making movies, yes, is hard mentally and physically, but also the limits you set for yourself are all in your mind. So if you, without a doubt, say, I'm going to make this film, you will make the film. And that is like a fact. It is all those doubts that creep into that. That's what stops you from doing anything. So you're your own worst enemy. But yeah, making movies is hard, but that's, we do hard things and that's okay. Beautiful. Can you tell us how people can support you and your film? You can support my film by going to reflectmovie.com and you can watch the trailer or you can watch it on Apple TV, Amazon Prime, Google Play or Voodoo starting January 9th, 2024, followed by other streaming services in the future. And then you can, if you're a financer listening to this, you can support my next film, Anana, the sci-fi film, by messaging me and investing in a good cause. <laughs> yes, absolutely. You got to do it. Do it right now. Give her money. Yes, please. I'm trying to make a really good film about women's mental health and grief and loss. The poster art you have for that is awesome, by the way. So yes. good job. So Gus Kondo made my poster. I went to South by Southwest two years ago to network and I saw a lot of posters there and I found out that he made them and he's from Brazil. I think, I don't know at the time he charged us like 800 bucks, but it was such a well-made poster and he gave us different iterations and a whole pitch deck on it. And it was well worth all the money. He's a genius. He is so good at making posters and I love 800 is a great deal. For Kia. Yeah. It's a really good deal. Yeah, and it's beautiful. So Thank you. nice find. You good job, good. Gus. Do you love making movies as hard and you want to listen to more episodes? Jump over to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash MMIH and you can listen to the entire back catalog of episodes for just $1.99 a month. That's an additional 300 episodes that aren't on iTunes that you can listen to whenever you please. But without any more blibber blabber. Back to the show. Auric, what do you remember about our talk with Dana? I remember that she's really impressive and that it was surprising to me that this was her first ever thing, anything like she had never, you know, directed a short film or co-directed or produced any, you know, this was like her first project was this her feature. And I felt like throughout the conversation, there were so many times where she did the thing that everyone complains and whines to me that they can't do. Like first time filmmakers are like, I can't do this because of this reason. I can't do, uh, how do you do this? Like they're, they always want to know how can you make your first feature? How can you raise money? How can you whatever? And like Dana with no experience went out and figured it out and did it. So she's like living proof that you can do it and that you don't need to have anything special. You don't need to have all the connections in the world. You don't need to have a background in filmmaking. You don't need to have a bunch of short films under your belt. Like you can just go out and make a feature. So that's what I remember from the conversation and I really enjoyed it. And I hope people get a lot out of it and get some, some strong inspiration to go out and make their movies from this conversation. I loved this. I love this chat. And I'm worried that I'm saying Dana's last name wrong. So Dana, if you're listening, I apologize. But I, I just thought she had no censor in the best way. Does that, mm-hmm. is that accurate? Mm-hmm. It's like, she knew that being transparent about her process would help others. And so she just kind of said everything that needed to be said when we asked questions of her, which is like so ideal for us. And I think so ideal for an interview or a podcasting situation. And I also just loved how personal and vulnerable she was with us about her own goals and her own interpersonal challenges. I just like uh, adored it. I adored this conversation. So thank you, Dana, for being the conversation. Yeah, it, it was lovely. But you know what also is lovely? What? Is our segment 
You're the expert. That's right. So, people, I'm imagining we have some first-time listeners today on this very beautiful new year of the show. What is this? This thing is a, a game, a segment created by our producer, Eric Toms, where he comes up with a question that Liz and I should be the absolute experts on, that we will know the definitive answer, you know, to this question. So we get these ahead of time so we can prep a little bit. I think this is a really good one. I'm actually very excited to know your opinion on this because I have my own opinion, but I wonder if it's wrong and you're kind of an expert in distribution. So I'm very curious to know what you think. The question is, I've just made a no budget indie film. How important is it for me to make an LLC? Yeah. Now. Yeah. What? What? Yeah. I don't know. What do you think? How important is it? (laughs) Yeah. If you're going to put something out in the world where you could possibly get sued you'd it's been more important to be sued as an entity than as an individual right from my understanding so having an llc essentially protects you from potential legal filings that could occur in distribution when you're out in the world with your work and then also you know i'm sure there's some financial banking reasons why you want to have an llc and you separate your funds in a separate bank account tied to that company name but i just want to say for like a short film versus a feature, because I'm not sure Eric specified, like I have done shorts where I have not formed an LLC. And then for production insurance, I've, this is not the right term, but I always say leapfrog, but I don't know why that's, I've, I've worked with another production company and used their production insurance and then essentially worked and funneled my film under their production company. But that's for a short, which is a minimal commitment and is not a major risk for a lot of people to work out this collaboration. But for a feature, I think it's important to have an LLC. And most distributors will expect you to have some sort of company. And most like SAG usually will expect you. I mean, it would you're essentially showing your cards as potentially unprofessional if you don't have a company or an entity set up for the dealings of forming a signatory with SAG and being paid by your distributor and having investors sign on board. Like it just complicates things in my eyes. But I have two LLCs that won't die. So maybe I just feel like I want other people like misery loves company. So maybe that's what I'm trying to do here is come into my misery. I just dissolved my LLC for the alternate oh, um, well in done. the new year because it was like, I, I, you know, I talked to my producer and he was like, you know, yeah, he basically advised that like now is the right time for our yeah. movie to do it because we're not going to be getting in, in enough money to justify continuing it. And there was a lot of other advice he had about keeping the bank account, but like this is dissolving the LLC, which you can do. Yeah. So. The thing that I find interesting about this question is that it's I just made a no budget indie film. So the film's already made. So it's already been shot. It's already in the can. So like, I'm just curious, like, how important is it to have an LLC (laughs) at that point? You know, well, then then I'm assuming that it's if it's no budget indie, it's probably non-union making a lot of assumptions. Yeah, Non-union, non-union, probably no SAG. Right. Because, you know. It was just you just made it on your own with 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 no no money and your your friends or whatever. But is it a documentary? Is it a fiction film? If it's a documentary, let's it's just, yeah, let's assume it's a fiction film. Okay, like it's a right. narrative. So but it, there's still just this look. I mean, there are people who have accidents on film sets who don't realize the accident until later on. There's people mm. who are living in a litigious society like my instinct is always to create a separation from you as a liability i think as no budget creators very often we take on a lot of the positions of a film set so i'm also thinking that this hypothetical person that eric has created who just made an indie film no budget has probably done 45 million positions and potentially has i don't know uh, what what is the word i'm thinking of like created infractions in 25 million positions that maybe were not up to code in Mm. any of those scenarios. Right. So Mm. for me, again, I do think it's important to separate yourself with that LLC. But I, you know, I've never applied for E&O insurance as an individual. I don't even know how that would work if you don't have an LLC to play, yeah, apply for could, an insurance. Could, could you, yeah, could you get insurance without an LLC for a movie? Probably not, 
right? Like, don't you need to have an LLC to do that? I think so. There might be a workaround and not all distributors require E&O, but most of them do. So that's going to be a fun thing for you to set up. And then it's like, then you're setting up the LLC without the benefits that you could have had during the production of the film. I don't know that yeah. for me, you, you form a company when you make a feature. Here's my uh, opinion. If okay. you're, if you may know what's a f- feature and you're just going to release it on your own and you're going to self distribute or put it out onto YouTube for free or whatever, and you're not going to go through a distributor, then I would say you're probably okay. Not creating an LLC for the movie, but if you're going to go through the proper channels to distribute the film, then I would say, Yeah. But what about clearances? Like, what if you forgot, like I was working with a filmmaker who used like the Chicago Bean or whatever in their film and they didn't have the right to, you know, it's like if you're using any sort of public image that could get you in trouble, I would I would basically say, like, have someone have a lawyer look at your film with a fine tooth comb and like a decent lawyer who's not trying to take advantage of you and just say, do you think I'm cool? Do you think I have anything to worry about? Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. I mean, I did, did an LLC for my feature and I think I'll probably would always do one, you know, but, but basically because I have to, in order to make it the way I want to make it, you know, right. but yeah, I don't know. Good, good question, Eric. It's a good question. Yeah. And I like, I like the answer of just do it anyways. <laughs> it's a good <laughs> idea. But what also is a good idea, if you disagree, if you've had other successes where you've made a movie you made a feature and you didn't have an LLC and it hasn't hurt you in any way uh, we'd love to hear it so you can send us those does anyone ever write us because I don't check the inbox like you do does anyone ever say we I have disagree not e- we have not gotten any emails <laughs> in a long time about things like this we usually get emails saying either I want to be on the really, show <laughs> I want to be on the show or really sweet things like I love your show thank you so those, are, those are the two things that we get a lot we don't usually get like actual questions or suggestions or whatever. I'd love a topic suggestion, by the way, I'd kill for a topic suggestion. So (laughs) someone, if you have any ideas or anything for the show that you guys would love to do, please send them over. It would be fun. And the email to send those things to is podcast at making movies is hard.com. Or if you really love the show, you can leave us a review on iTunes, which would be fantastic. It's the new year. You could be the very first person to give us a review in 2024. It could be you. So don't wait if you're thinking about giving us a review because you might not have the chance to be the first if you wait. You can also check out the International Screenwriters Association, the ISA. They're an organization designed to connect writers with filmmakers through a number of programs they offer, including publishing your logline to a network of industry professionals, consultation courses, and contests. So head over to www.networkisa.org to sign up for free today. And also make sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at MMIH Podcast and YouTube at Making Movies is Hard Podcast. I forgot to say that earlier. But big thanks to Dana Kippel for coming on the show. Thanks to our editor, Jeff Reimann, for doing the editing. Thanks to Robert Jones for handling all of our social media. And thanks to our producer, Eric Toms, for simply being awesome. Thanks to you all for listening, and we'll talk to you all next week. people you give me nonsense that's not what jeff sounds like you give me garbage give Um, me garbage (laughs) we we made jeff mario (laughs) like you're mario now